The following sermon by Jonathan Edwards is called A Possibility of Being Saved. It's much to be preferred to a certainty of perishing. Taken from Second Kings 7, verses 3 and 4. And there were four leprous men entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city then, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Second Kings 7, verses 3 and 4. This is the time when Ben-Hadad and the Syrians besieged Samaria. And they held that siege so long, keeping the city closed, shut up, and hindering, all going out and coming in, that all the provision of the city was spent, and a very great famine ensued. Insomuch that an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and a quarter of a cab of a dove's dung for five pieces of silver, and they boiled their children and ate them in the 27th, 28th, and 29th verses of the foregoing chapter. This is the occasion of the four leprous men drawing up that conclusion that they do in the text, when they were at the point to die by reason of the famine, and they were at the entering in of the gate of the city, or, as it were, in the middle between the city and the camp of the Syrians, their enemies, and there was but those three things that they could do. There was no other way that they could turn themselves but either to go into the city, or to go into the camp of the Syrians, or to stay where they were. For the camp of the Syrians encompassed the city all around, so that none could fly from the city, but they must fall into their hand. Now each of these waves held dreadfully. If they went into the city, they could get nothing by it. There was no provision to be had there, so that they could not save their lives that way. And if they sat where there was, provision would not come to them but they must die on the spot. And if they went into the camp of the Syrians, they could not much expect any other but to be killed, for they compassed the city on purpose, to keep any from coming out or coming in, that they might distress them, so by famine as to compel them to yield themselves up to them. They therefore stood ready to kill anyone that dared come out of the city. But yet this is the only way in which there were so much as a possibility of their being saved. If they went into the city or stayed where they were, they must certainly die. But if they went and delivered themselves up to those Syrians, they might possibly spare their lives. They therefore chose this way as preferred a possibility of living to a certainty of perishing. And accordingly they arose and went to the camp, expecting to meet with their enemies and to resign themselves up into their hands. But God had in a wonderful manner terrified the Syrians by a noise of horses and chariots, as if there was a mighty army just upon them. They concluded that the king of Israel had hired the kings of the Hittites and of the Egyptians, and that they should presently be swallowed up. And they fled in haste and left their tents and all their provision and their wealth behind them. So these leprous men came and found a camp deserted and found provision enough, and ate and drank their fill and enriched themselves with the spoil and saved their own lives and the lives of the whole city. 
This is the issue of their wise conclusion of choosing that way, in which there was a possibility of having their lives preserved. Doctrine That a possibility of being saved is much to be preferred to a certainty of perishing. If it be true of a temporal salvation and destruction, the argument is the same concerning eternal salvation and destruction. And much more by how much more eternal salvation is more desirable than temporal. And eternal destruction is more dreadful than a temporal destruction. Under this doctrine we shall, number one, observe several ways that men take in which there is a certainty of destruction. Number two, observe in what ways there is a possibility of salvation. Number three, give the reasons why the latter are far to be preferred to the former. First, as to those ways wherein there is a certainty of destruction. In the first place, there is a certainty of men's perishing in a way of neglecting their souls. Those persons that don't take much care for the salvation of their souls that have their minds taken up about other things, about the vanities of this world, and don't make it their care and business to make sure of an interest in Christ, they are in a way in which there is a certainty of perishing. Those that are careless about religious duties, that cast off fear and restrain prayer before God, that don't cry to God in secret, that neglect reading and take no care how they attend on public worship, that attend in a careless, indifferent, regardless manner. They don't make it their inquiry what should they do to be saved. Such as continue in this way will certainly perish. There is no possibility of their escaping damnation. God won't force a man into heaven that doesn't seek to go there. He won't bestow salvation upon them that don't think it worth a praying for and an inquiry after. If men choose the world for their portion, and take greater care for earthly riches and pleasures and diversions than they do for justification and eternal life, God will give them that which they mind most. Indeed, God gives salvation freely and of mere grace and not for any work of ours, but yet he bestows it in that way that glorifies his free grace most and makes it most esteemed and valued. He won't give it to them that don't desire it, or that don't desire it so much as to think it worth the seeking, or worth the thinking about, and worth the praying for. This would be the way to have the free grace of God despised and trampled underfoot. Some are ready to harden themselves by saying, If I am elected, I shall be saved. Let me do what I will. But in their meddling with God's secret counsels, without going to heaven to coax in the real of the decrees, I can certainly tell whether such men shall be saved or not, if for that reason they continue to neglect their salvation. Some neglect using proper means for their salvation, thus despising the Spirit. Some perhaps may say also, God must do all if ever I am saved, I can do nothing. Why should I humble myself about it? But though it is true, God does all. But if he ever does anything that ends in salvation, the first thing he does is to stir men up earnestly to seek their salvation. Therefore, you may be assured that if ever God does anything for you, this will be the first thing. We are told that the way is straight, and the way is narrow, that leads to eternal life, and that if we would enter in, we must strive. If the way be so narrow that seeking is not sufficient, 
but we must strive, then surely they will never enter that neither seek nor strive. We are told that the righteous are scarcely saved, those that are most diligent and laborious. What then will those appear that take little or no care about their salvation? The apostle tells us that of many that run, there is but one that wins the prize. He that outruns, 1 Corinthians 9.24. And if so, they certainly will never obtain that don't run at all. They that are found asleep when Christ comes shall surely walk naked, and they shall see his shame, Revelation 16.15. Number two. There is a certainty of perishing and continuing in a way of known sin. Though man should reform a great many sins and live much better than they used to, though they deny themselves greatly and forsaken many bad practices, yet if the reformation is not thorough, if one sin be kept back, the practice of any one dear lust, if the sin also is not forsaken, the man will surely perish. It is impossible that he should be saved. It matters not whether it be a little sin or a great sin. However, if it be unknowingly continued in, it will surely sink the soul down into hell. God won't deliver us except we put away all idols. And if there be any one strange God that is not forsaken, the true God will not accept any, 1 Samuel 7, 3. God is a perpetual enemy to all sin. And it is impossible that we should serve God and serve any of his enemies at the same time, Matthew 8:24. You cannot serve God and mammon. He that retains and lives in one sin, he shows his disregard of God's authority and contempt of his power and threatenings, and is yet a presumptuous rebel and declared enemy is really as if he lived in all sorts of sin, James 2:10. He that keeps the whole law and offends in one point is guilty of all. He who lives in the commission of one sin knowingly is a knowing and allowed servant of sin. John 8.34 If there be any iniquity that is regarded and loved and lived in by sinners, God will not accept of them. Psalm 66.18 If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear my prayers. If there be one lust that is pampered and gratified, that is enough certainly to carry a man down to hell. He that has but one hand or one eye or any one member that offends and doesn't cut it off or pluck it out, he must assuredly go to hell with it. Matthew 5:28 and so on. Thus particularly they that live in a way of uncleanness, either unclean behavior or language, are in a way wherein there is a certainty of perishing. So all those that live in any way of intemperance, it is impossible they should be found in that way. So there is a certainty of perishing in a way of following and hearkening to wicked companions. Those that suffer themselves to be drawn and enticed by ill company to a vain and extravagant conversation, or are kept from doing of known duties, are kept from reforming and living a sober life, and using the proper means for their salvation for fear of their companions. They are in a way of unavoidable destruction. They that do thus heed their companions more than God. They must break through these obstacles and break off all their sin and live in all the commandments of the Lord, or they must certainly perish, Proverbs 13.20. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. 
so that those that knowingly live in a way of dishonesty or reviling or lying or Sabbath-breaking or profane as they are in a certain way of perishing, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. One of these ways of unrighteousness are sufficient to exclude men from a possibility of salvation during their continuance in them. So Galatians 5:19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reviling, and such like, of the which I told you before, and have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Not only these things, but all such like things, every other work of the flesh that is lived in, will exclude from the kingdom of heaven. You may remember that we read of some that knock at the door and beg to come in, but Christ bids them depart because they are workers of iniquity. If a man be a worker of one sort of sin, it is enough to denominate him a worker of iniquity. Number three, they who after they have sought salvation a while and at length are discouraged and leave off, if continued in, they fall into a way where there is a certainty of perishing. They turn about and travel directly towards the pit of misery. They are discouraged in swimming against the stream, and they leave off, and the stream carries them directly towards the great gulf and sea of God's wrath. If they stand by this conclusion that they draw up, they do as good conclude that they will throw themselves into everlasting burnings. If he is discouraged and thinks it is not worth a while to do any more, he must alter his opinion or he'll surely perish. He must so far gain his courage again as to go on and seek and strive, or he is gone forever. There is no other way but to go forward, for backward there is nothing but hell and destruction. Some are ready to be discouraged so that they are tempted to neglect prayer and other duties. But if they should do so and continue to do so, it is a sure way to perish without remedy. Proverbs 14.14 14. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own way. That is, he that will backslide, he shall never have enough. Only he'll bitterly repent of it. Luke 9.62 No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Hebrews 10.38, If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Number four. There is a certainty of their perishing that continue trusting in their own righteousness. However moral they are in their conversations, however exact they are in their religious duties, whatever high flights they may take of religious affections, whatever joys and delights they may have in their supposed discoveries, Yet if they trust to these things, if they think their morality and obedience and their religious affections make God reconciled to them, 
and recommends them to his favor, if they are puffed up by the thoughts of their religion, as if they were good enough to make them acceptable in God's sight, such as continue in this way, they will certainly perish. They build upon the sand, and they build upon such a foundation their house will surely fall. We read in Matthew 7.26, So the foolish man that built his house upon the sand, that his house fell, and great was the fall thereof. They that follow after the law of righteousness, or seek for justification by the works of the law, they surely never will obtain it, Romans 9.31-32. and 32. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. Number five. Another way in which there is a certainty of perishing is a way of quarreling with God. A way of finding fault with his justice and objecting against his foreknowledge. There are many whose hearts are like the troubled sea. They rise against God Almighty. They accuse God of unfairness and inequality in his dealings. They think God is unfair that he bestows mercy upon others and not upon them. He bestows it on others that don't have so many good qualifications to recommend them, that have been more wicked than they. He bestows it upon them that have taken but little pains for it. But God doesn't seem to regard all the pains that they take. He stops his ear to their cry. He doesn't regard all their carefulness to his commandments. And upon many other accounts they contend with God about his proceedings with them. They contend over God's sovereignty. They can't see that God has any right to bestow mercy upon some and to leave others to perish forever that are naturally as good as they. They quarrel with the decrees of God and they don't see that God has any business thus absolutely to determine the eternal condition of every one from all eternity. But they that continue in this way will certainly be destroyed. If they will contend with God, God will contend with them. If they will fight with God for their salvation, God will show who shall get the victory. He will let them know who is the strongest. God has pronounced a woe upon all such persons that continue in such a way. Isaiah 45 verse 9 Woe to him that strives with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashions it, What makest thou? But secondly, we are coming to second place to show in what ways there is a possibility of salvation. First, there is a possibility of salvation for all those that thoroughly reform their lives and set themselves to seek their salvation. It can't be said of any in the world that can be brought thoroughly to reform and to make it their inquiry, what shall I do to be saved, that there is no hope. As for such that have committed the sin against the Holy Ghost, they are such as are guilty of a final apostasy from the profession of religion, such as do openly and avowedly and willfully and maliciously cast off religion. Such as these can never be brought to reform and to seek salvation. They are given up forever to a malicious, devilish rejection of God and godliness. But for those that can be made willing thoroughly to reform their lives and to seek God in the way of his appointment, there is hope. Upon some persons, indeed, it looks more dark than upon others. 
but yet there is a possibility for all. It looked very dark upon those leprous men. There was but little appearing hope of the Syrians saving their lives, but there was a possibility of it as appeared by the event. So for all sorts of persons that reform and seek salvation, there is a possibility of being saved. Number one. So those that have been great sinners, indeed all men are naturally very great sinners, as their natures are wholly corrupted and depraved, as they have no remains of anything that is good and are wholly inclined to evil. But I speak of those that have been great in comparison to others, such as have been notorious and extraordinary sinners. If they will but at length thoroughly reform and set themselves to seek for salvation, there is a possibility of their being saved. There is room for hope because we are taught that Christ came to save the chief of sinners, and Christ used to converse with publicans and sinners. The publicans were generally a notorious sort of men. They were men that were scandalous all over the nation, and the reason that Christ gives for his conversing with them is that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The publicans were notorious wicked men. They were therefore lost men, and they had so much the more need of seeking. If you have been notorious drunkards, yet there is a possibility of salvation. If they have been a very rude, lascivious, debauched sort of persons, yea, if they have been whores or whoremongers, or if they have been sodomites, yet if they thoroughly reform and seek salvation, there is hope for them. There are all these sorts of sinners mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10, and 11. Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And we have many particular instances of notorious sinners that have reformed and hence been saved. If sinners have been lascivious and fornicators and adulterers, there is a possibility of their being saved. For we have an instance in the woman taken in adultery in the 8th of John at the beginning. There is a possibility for those that have been thieves. We have an instance of the thief on the cross. He had been a robber. He made a trade of it. But he obtained mercy. If they have been murderers, yet if they reform and seek God, there is hope of their salvation. Yea, if they have been witches and wizards, we have a remarkable instance in Manasseh. He had been a murderer. He filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. He murdered his own children. He burnt them to death, and he too was a notorious wizard. But yet he obtained mercy. Second Chronicle 33 If men have been blasphemers, Yet there is a possibility of their obtaining mercy if they reform and seek it. Matthew 12, verse 31. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. If men are great sinners under clear light, yet if they thoroughly reform and earnestly seek eternal pardon, there is hope of them. They that crucified Christ, they sin exceedingly, they murdered the Lord of life and glory, and they sinned under great light. For they had seen his miracles, and heard his preaching, and yet Christ prays for them, that they might be forgiven. And many of them were afterwards converted by Peter's sermon.
If persons have made a trade of notorious sinning a great while, yet if they at length thoroughly break off their sins, there is a possibility of their salvation. Hebrews 9, 7. Today, after so long a time, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Then though it be a thing much rarer that those that have been very notorious sinners under a great light should be converted than the conversion of others, yet there is a possibility, there is hope, and there have been many instances. Number two, there is a possibility for them that are old if they can be at length persuaded in good earnestness to seek salvation. Though the instances of the conversion of them that are old are comparatively but very few, yet there have been some. Indeed, it is but very seldom that those that are old are thoroughly reformed. If they have lived in any bad course till then, tis seldom that they are stirred up in good earnest to seek salvation. But when they do, there is encouragement in the word of God for such. There we are informed in the parable, Matthew 20, in the beginning, that some were called at the third hour, which with the Jews was the middle of the forenoon, others at the sixth hour of noon, others at the ninth hour at the middle of the afternoon, others at the eleventh hour when there was but one hour of the day remaining. Thirdly, there is a possibility of their salvation that have been a long while in trouble and haven't obtained provided they still go on earnestly to seek salvation. If they leave off and continue in such a way, there is a certainty of their perishing, as we have heard. But if they still go on, there is hope. If they have sought many years, if they have been in trouble ten years, or twenty years, or forty, yet if they don't give out, still there is great hopes. Egypt was but a little way from Canaan. They might have traveled in it, in the ordinary way in a month's time, but God led them about in the wilderness to prove and to know what was in their hearts. They were so long a while that they were quite discouraged. They thought they should never get to Canaan. They didn't think it worth their while to try any longer and were for retiring into Egypt. And so their carcasses fell in the wilderness. Whereas if they had not been discouraged, they might have entered into the good land. The disciples fished all night and caught nothing. But they were encouraged by Christ to let down the net once more, and they had fish enough and to spare. Number four, there is a possibility of salvation for them who will submit to God's sovereignty. For them who give up the case as to be in any way their own saviors or working out a righteousness of their own, who give up all endeavors and expectations of making their hearts better or of making themselves holy, for those that give over all contending with God to pardon, and all endeavors to get out of God's hand, for those that yield a case that are clay in the hands of the potter, that he must dispose of them as he pleases, there is hope for such as those that they may be saved. They don't expose themselves at all to damnation by their yielding, though they have made God their enemy, Yet they aren't at all the more in danger because they give over all attempts of getting out of his hands and yield themselves to be his captives. They'll certainly perish if they don't, and if they do, it may be that God will have mercy upon them. They must do it. There is no other way. It is with them as it was with those leprous men. If they don't go and deliver themselves up to their enemies, they shall die. And if they do, it may be they will save themselves alive. If they kill them, they can but die. 
We're come to the third point. The third thing under the doctrine is to give the reasons why those ways in which there is a possibility of being saved are much to be preferred to those ways in which there is a certainty of perishing. The thing is indeed self-evident and needs no proof. What a fool is he that would not rather choose a possibility of being saved than to clap himself into an unavoidable certainty of destruction. The first dictates of reason and the light of nature tells this. There is no need of seeking whether it be true or not. All men know it to be true and act on this in their secular affairs. But yet the truth of this principle may the more abundantly appear by these two reasons. Number one, final destruction and ruin is a thing so dreadful that the least hope of escaping of it far outweighs all possible pains and difficulties that can be undergone in order to it. The more dreadful any calamity is, the more it is worth the while to take pains and undergo difficulties when there is only a possibility of escaping it. If the calamity were never so small, if it were any calamity at all, yet it would be worth a while to use methods to escape it, except the pains and difficulty of undergoing it were worse than the possibility of escaping it is desirable. But in a calamity that is so great as utter destruction and eternal ruin, it is impossible that any pains that we use to escape it can be equal to the least hopes of escaping it, provided we must certainly endure it if we don't take pains. They that are in hell would be willing to do anything in the world if they could have the least hope that they could ever be delivered from damnation. They would be willing to take a thousand times as much pains as men ever do in this world for the least possibility of deliverance. Number two, eternal life is a thing so desirable that the least hopes of obtaining it outweighs all the difficulty of seeking of it. I speak now of the positive part of salvation, of that positive happiness which those that are saved will enjoy if there were no hell. Yet eternal happiness is so great a thing that it would be worth a while to do or undergo anything in this world if there was the least hope of obtaining it. If there were no heaven, Hell is so dreadful that it would be worth a while to use all possible means for a possibility of escaping it. Application The first use is of instruction. Hence we learn how happy they are who are in a condition in which is a certainty of salvation. There is not only a possibility that they may be saved, but it is made sure to them. They are eternally secure from hell. They have got above the reach of destruction, and eternal life is theirs. It is already made over to them in an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. So dreadful is eternal misery, and so desirable is eternal happiness, that it is worth a while to do anything that can be done, if there be but the least crevice of hope that they shall ever obtain. How happy are they, then, who are in such a state that they can't miss of eternal life? The state of all natural men is indeed a state of dreadful uncertainty. Though it looks much more hopeful concerning some than concerning others, yet concerning all it is an uncertainty whether ever they shall escape hell. But concerning those that have an interest in Christ, it is not so. There is a certainty of their obtaining eternal life, for God who cannot lie has promised it to them. But secondly, a use of exhortation to sinners in two branches. Number one, 
Let sinners be exhorted and stirred up to use all possible means for their salvation. However discouraging their case may appear, if you are afraid of perishing and think you are in great danger of it, don't continue in any way in which there is a certainty of damnation. Why should you run right into the flame where there is another method that you can take that you don't know but may be successful? By no means neglect your precious soul, for your soul will surely perish if it be neglected. You never will obtain salvation from hell unless you set yourself to seek it in good earnest. Don't neglect anything that you are directed to in the word of God in order to your obtaining mercy. Neglect no religious duty. Neglect not prayer. Neglect not reading. Don't neglect a serious and careful attendance on the public worship. If you continue to neglect any of those things, when you knew you ought to perform them, you will certainly perish in that way. Cast off all ways of sin. Thoroughly reform your life. Forsake every evil way. If you knowingly retain any one way of wickedness and don't reform of it, it will surely be your bane. You will surely be damned as if you should die a wizard or with blasphemies in your mouth. If you have before this lived in ways of wickedness, reform every one of them. If your right hand offends you, cast it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. If you live in any way of intemperance, you must forsake it. Or if you live in any way of uncleanness, whether in lesser or greater degree, you must forsake it. If you are a tavern haunter, you must leave off that practice. If you are a companion of vicious persons that draw you into sin and keep you back from your duty, you must forsake such companions. If you have wronged your neighbor of any part of his estate, you must make restitution. If you have been guilty of any scandal in which you have given past occasion of offense to God's people, you must remove the offense that you have given by public repentance or else you will perish forever. You must set yourself to seek salvation, not slightly and needlessly, but you must make a business out of it. However dark and discouraging your case may look, this is a way you must take. In this way, there is a possibility of your being saved. Otherwise, there is a certainty of your being damned. If you turn to the right hand or to the left from this direction, you fall inevitably into the bottomless pit. If you have been a great sinner, having guilty of notorious wickedness, if you have lived your whole life a debauched and vicious case, if you have been guilty of abundance of extravagant, profane, and unclean language, if you have been a rioter, a reveler, if you have been guilty of acts of uncleanness, if you have been a fornicator, if you have been a drunkard, this is the only way that you must take. You must break off all your sins and leave all those wicked courses, and then there is a possibility that you may be saved. You must lay your mouth in the dust, if so there may be any hope. Lamentation 3.29 You must say and do as the Ninevites did. You must, as it were, cover yourself with sackcloth and cry mightily to God, and turn from your evil way and from the evil of your doings. Who can tell but that God will turn and repent, and turn from his fierce anger that you perish not? Jonah 3, 8-10 to It was a provoking as well as a fuller thing in the Jews that they would not reform, because they thought there was no hope. Jeremiah 2, 25 Withhold your foot from being unshod, and your throat from thirst. But you say, There is no hope, no, for I have loved strangers, and after them I will go. 
If you think you are so wicked, and so far from everything that is good, that it is not worth your while to try for salvation, see what God has said to the house of Israel, that made the like objection, Ezekiel 37, 11, and 12. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. If you are so wicked that you are like a dead man, yea, if you are so wicked that you are not only dead but rotten, yea, if you have been dead so long that your bones are died, yet God can bring you up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. If you have been a long time under trouble, however long it has been, and you still see no prospect of any saving alteration, your only way is to press forward. Who can tell whether God will yet be gracious to you that you may live? Who can tell but that God's appointed time of your deliverance may be near? Continue to call earnestly upon God. Who can tell but that God will think upon you that you perish not? It may be you are all ready to say that you should be willing to do anything in the world, if you were sure that you should obtain. But you must do whatever you can do if you would not be sure that you shall never obtain. If you leave off striving and return again into a way of neglecting your soul and so continue, you must certainly perish. You must either go on to strive now or you must strive hereafter under a far greater disadvantage or else you will certainly be destroyed. Hell follows all natural persons at their backs. And if you go back, you don't know but the very first steps will go into the pit of hell. If you sit still, you die. Or if you go back into Samaria, you die. If you are grown old in your sin, yet now after so long a time hearken to God's voice and harden your heart no longer, your case looks dreadful indeed, but it will look more dreadful if you are discouraged and think it is not worth a while to seek God because you have continued in sin so long. Christ now calls you into his vineyard, though it is at the ninth or the eleventh hour. And if you hearken to him and are willing to go into his vineyard, you shall have the reward of heaven as well as those that wrought all day. Heaven is not yet out of your reach, or rather, you are not out of the reach of the Lord of heaven. You are not yet out of reach of mercy. There is still a possibility of your salvation. Use number two of exhortation. Submit to the sovereignty of God. Give over all endeavors after deliverance, either by flying from God or fighting with him. God has you in his hands every moment. Do what you will. And he won't be at all the more backward to exercise the sovereign pleasure upon you for your objection against the justice and fairness of it. When your heart rises, God won't give back. And if you think you have laid some obligations upon God to save you, God won't look upon himself as bound. If you go on in this way, you must surely fall a victim to God's eternal wrath that will triumph over all your self-righteousness and all your strivings and quarrelings against the Most High. Therefore throw away all your weapons, and fall down before an infinitely powerful and sovereign God, and yield yourself a captive to his will. If you take any other course, you must die. If you try to fly from God into the city and think to defend yourself from him by walls and strongholds, you must die with famine. Your own righteousness won't nourish you, and if you contend with God and endeavor to get provision out of his hands by force, you must die. Therefore yield yourself a captive to God's will and pleasure. 
If he saves you alive, then you will live. And if he pleases to destroy you, you will but die. A possibility of being saved is much to be preferred to a certainty of perishing. A sermon by Jonathan Edwards. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.